Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody. Chuck here. Good morning or good afternoon, wherever this finds you on your Saturday. Hope you're enjoying yourself. And I have a nice selection for you from July 2011. For this Saturday Select, was Malthus right about carrying capacity? What is what is that all about, you say? What am I talking about? Who is this Malthus? Well, all the answers are right here. It's a really interesting one. And, uh, and here's what I say. If you don't know what any of those words mean, aside from was, right, and about, then listen right now, because you're about to learn something cool. July 9th, 2011, was Malthus right about carrying capacity? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant sitting across from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that makes this Stuff You Should Know the podcast. There you go. The only incarnation thus far. Is, is there somebody fast-forwarding through this part right now, huh? Yes. <laughs> so, Chuck, right? Mm-hmm. It is Chuck? Yes, still. <laughs> Have you noticed how often I say right? Yeah. It's mind-numbing. Plus, someone will write in and say, Do you know you say right all the time? And or, Chuck says, um. <laughs> or it sounds like I'm eating hard candy all the time. I know. That's not the case. You've never eaten anything in here. I can attest to that. Uh, yeah, I'm overly salivatory. <laughs> Okay? Yes. Chuck, uh, as you know, I was a student of anthropology. Yeah. Still consider myself. Sure. Such. Um, And I first came upon this term called carrying capacity when I was, I took this life-changing anthropology class, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't remember the teacher's name anymore, but he was awesome. He introduced me to probably my favorite um, article or essay of all time, uh, The Worst Mistake in the History of the Human Race. Right by Jerry Diamond, awesome stuff. Um, any by Dustin Diamond, by <laughs> Mike Diamond, okay, by Jerry Diamond, oh, the guy sure. who wrote Collapse and yeah, yeah. Guns, Germs, and Steel and stuff. Um, that's required reading, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I just think you should that, that essay, not necessarily his books. Okay, um, but this, the, I was also introduced to carrying capacity, and this there was this really cool video he showed us to get the point across, and it's just a map of the world, right? And it's um, 
a, it's, there's red dots. It shows population growth. Yeah. And each red dot equals, I think, a million people. Mm-hmm. And so it starts out in Africa, in uh, Ethiopia, I believe, mm-hmm. the cradle of humanity. Sure. And it starts there and all, you know, very slowly. There's like a, it's time elapsed, obviously. Yeah. So the years go by like that. Yeah. And, um, I, like the the red dots start appearing very slowly, start moving out of Africa, spreading to Asia, to mm-hmm. Europe, all that, and then um, it starts to to uh, pop up around uh, North America and South America, and then all of a sudden you get to the uh, I think like the 16th century, maybe a little later, the Industrial Revolution, and all of a sudden this map just goes red, and it's really jarring. It really gets the point across that like how quickly population has grown in the world and the impacts of it. You know, that's why he coupled this with carrying capacity because it's like, yeah. well, yeah, population growth, who cares? Then you say, oh, well, there's a limit to the amount of resources we have um, and that limit is called the carrying capacity of Earth, meaning how much Earth can sustain human life. And there's supposedly a point to it, right? Yeah, I got some stats. There's my intro. That was great. Take it from here. Here's a couple of stats, Josh. Okay. Uh, the United Nations Population Division estimates because five babies are born every second. And five 80, right there. Yeah. Ten. <laughs> oh, man. You got like crying? All that poop? Yeah. Uh, the world is going to have seven billion people by year's end, they think. Seven billion. Yeah, we're at 6.92 and change right now. Yeah. So, I mean, we're close. And um, to, to illustrate your point there about the red dots spreading like a disease <laughs> that is humans. Yeah. Um, fewer than a billion people in 1800. Yeah, it was like 800 million? 1800, dude. I mean, it seems like ancient history, but it ain't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, Three billion people in 1960, and only six billion people as recently as 1999. Yeah. Between 1950, Chuck, and 1990, the global population doubled from 2.5 billion to 5 billion. That is crazy. And behind this, that's what they call exponential growth. Yes. It's not just adding like a million people a year. Slow and steady, you're adding a fixed number. Yeah. It's you're adding, you know, populations doubling in 40 years. That's exponential growth. And that is the basis of what a guy named uh, Thomas Robert Malthus, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, an 18th century English clergyman, uh, predicted in his essay – um, an essay on the principle of population, basically saying human growth is exponential. We have a big problem because the growth of food is not. It's linear. That's right. And we're in trouble eventually. Yes. And he was fairly controversial at the time. He was debated by a lot of people, uh, one of which was this dude named William Godwin. And he had a theory called the perfectibility of society, which is basically, no, dude, we, we're humans and we, no matter how much we, we grow – we will be able to counter that with advances in technology to allow us to grow. So they debated like crazy. Godwin subsequently was one of the first proponents of anarchism. And Malthus talked about eugenics way back then, before it was eugenics. He said, I could see something like this being possible, but he said it's probably not something we should do. And he also, incidentally, was the fir- one of the first people to uh, – to support or popularize the, the the economic theory of rent. Really? Yeah. Well, he was just all over the place, wasn't he? Well, but it all kind of ties into population because eugenics tied into it because he was talking about yeah. controlling population. Sure. And rent, he f- 
theorized was uh, only possible with a surplus of resources. Yeah. Um, which allows you to own a second place and rent it, right. I guess. Or rent a tool or, you know, whatever people rented back then. So what Malthus is talking about is generally classified as uh, economics. Yeah. Right? But it, it's also it, – it stretches into all sorts of dirty, nasty little areas like greed, mm-hmm. um, ecology, population control, so eugenics, um, family planning, abortion, infanticide, yeah. all sorts of stuff um, that, that has a lot of implications, far-reaching implications, right? Yes. And so I didn't realize that there was somebody who was a contemporary of him that argued like, no, humans will use technology to outstrip – to outpace – this Malthu- Malthusian curse is what it's called, right? Yeah, there was more than God one. There was a few people too. I didn't realize that it was at the time. Yeah. But I know that over the centuries, people have been like, Malthus, that was a great idea, but you really missed the mark. And we're going to use you as an example of how badly somebody can, can get it wrong, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, because it wasn't just technology. There's another aspect of it called the demographic transition, which is basically as um, – as we get better with this technology, uh-huh. uh, one of the things we come up with is birth control. Right. Um, and while we're, while our mortality rates are, are lowering, mm-hmm. so too are fertility rates. Right. And we eventually come to this thing called the uh, replacement rate, which is 2.1 children per household leads to zero population growth. Right. And I think they said in Western Europe the number – was 1.4 in the late 90s. Like some people are afraid that that Malthus was correct at this point. And other people say that like in Europe and Asia, they worry about the opposite because, you know, they right. have the problem over there that there are not enough young people to take care of the retirees one day. Exactly. It's negative population growth. So who's right? They do estimate um, who's, who they is. I don't know. But it just said researchers estimate that <laughs> – Population's not going to level off until mid-century at about nine billion. Well, that's at best. If that's if we do level off, we could continue to exactly. keep growing. The rate we're at now, the replacement rate that leads to zero population growth, which is two point one. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we're at two point six worldwide, and with Africa um, skewing us the other way, Sub-Saharan Africa has about a five point one fertility rate, which means for every household, there's five point one yeah. children born. Does that point one child? I always feel so bad for him. It's just a <laughs> knee down, you know, on one leg. Um, but the uh, if we can get to zero population growth, then we're not going to really have to deal with the Malthusian curse, possibly ever. Right. But we're not. And that's that's. But that's one thing that's um, that Malthus didn't account for is things like as societies become more educated, right. fertility rates tend to drop dramatically. Sure. So that's that's another way to put it off too. So he was scoffed at, like you said. There's a lot of people out there who think he he was he missed the mark, but um, people have been doing a little bit of math lately and have figured out that um, it's in- entirely possible that he's right. That somewhere down the line he's right. Yeah, and at the basis, we should say of Malthus's whole thing is a lack of food and water. Really, I mean, we need air, food, water, shelter, and all that stuff. But what he was mainly centered on was eventually the food growth will not match up with the population growth. And a billion people go hungry every day already. So some might argue that that's already the case. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. 
Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. So let's talk about carrying capacity, Chuck. Yeah, this is cool. Um, If we had not transitioned, which we have, which kind of proves the um, positivists camp um, that we can be technological. Mm -hmm. If we hadn't transitioned from hunter-gatherer to agriculture, um, the carrying capacity of Earth would have been reached at about 100 million people. Long time ago. Yes, because there's just so many animals running around that we can kill. There's only so many berries that are going to occur naturally yeah. on the on the, the vine, right? Mm-hmm. But we did transition to agriculture um, before we hit the 100 million mark, possibly, maybe not. Um, farming. And we, we began to use technology, yeah. which is growing crops yeah. to feed ourselves. And animals. And then we reached another point, right, um, where we hit what was called the Green Revolution. You remember that? Yeah, well, yeah, I remember. With Norman sure. Borlaug? Uh-huh. Um, where there was a lot of people who were saying about a billion people are going to die because we are no longer, we're not going to be able to provide food for all the people here. Right. Um, we, we've come up with great vaccines and all this other technology that's lowering the mortality rate, but that just means people are living longer and they need food longer over the over their lifespan. Right. Right. So what are we going to do? Norman Borlaug comes along and says, "You know what we're going to do? Tapioca we're- pudding." Exactly. <laughs> Tapioca pudding for everybody, for the elderly, and a Care Bear in every garage. <laughs> no, the go ahead with, with what he said because he was a genius. He said we're going to maximize the yield that we get out of arable land. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to plant some seeds and be like, "Hope you grow." Right. We're going to apply. Tons of pesticide, tons of fertilizer, and we're going to squeeze corn the size of your torso out of every every plant, <laughs> right? Yeah, he wasn't some like awful mad. That sound makes him sound like some awful mad scientist, though. In the eyes of a lot of environmentalists, he he well, he, well I mean, think about all the runoff, all the um, uh, the soil depletion. All he also this stuff. didn't he also win a, a Nobel Prize? Sure, yeah, yeah. But he's credited with saving that billion people yeah. that were predicted to starve because he came one. in just in time because the Earth would have reached this carrying capacity for agriculture. Right. So we've had at least two different events where we were able to leap forward through technology right. and avoid the Malthusian curse, right? Yes. So there are people out there who say, well, you know, we're 
we're we're going to avoid it again, but what will that be? Sure, and come up with another one. So I'm sorry, Chuck, we would have hit uh, the carrying capacity of 100 million where we hunter-gatherers, right? Yeah. So what are the predictions now? Well, they say, and this is the, what I think is really interesting and completely sad, is that uh, we have a potential carrying capacity of 2 billion to 40 billion. Mm-hmm. We're clearly past the two. Yeah. So one might ask, how can it be that big of a range? And the answer is lifestyle. And here's a very sad stat. Uh, if the entire earth lived like middle-class Americans, not the super rich who, you know, probably consume more energy and the like than your average human, mm-hmm. just regular middle-class American folks consume about 3.3 times the subsistence level of food mm-hmm. and 250 times the subsistence level of water, clean water. Yeah. And that means the earth, if we, if everyone was like us, the earth could only support about 2 billion people. So what's going on is 25% of the earth is consuming, I don't have the percentage, but the other 75% of the earth is left with what's left. Right. Which is really, really crappy. It's just, a, it's a... Uh, disparity in the allocation of resources and yeah. what's consumed. So that's why it can be a range of two billion to forty billion because of the different lifestyles. If, if everyone lived like the twenty five percent, there would be plenty for everyone, and no one would be starving. No, if everybody lived like the twenty five percent, we would all we would be no, like the seventy five percent. Right. Sorry. Well, the um, yeah, that's that's where the forty billion number comes in. I've seen thirty, and I've seen forty on the high end for the carrying capacity, yeah. and that's where every square inch of arable land is being cultivated to its maximum yield. Right, and all people live in high rises that are as high as we can build them right now. Right, right, um, and we're mining um, asteroids for uh, for um, minerals and, and all that. We're not. We're no longer going. We're no longer going to the Earth. We're going to outer space, like to terraforming mine. Mars, maybe. Possibly. Don't think that that shouldn't have started about fifty years ago, right? <laughs> um, but the uh, that forty billion prediction is um, based on the absolute minimum requirements, and everybody, forty billion people living on the planet, yeah, um, all using the minimum amount, which is uh, four hundred liters of water a year. And about 300 kilograms of food a year, mostly grains. And you can basically kiss meat goodbye. Yeah. Because we need that land to grow our grains rather which than goes grow grains to feed cows. Right, right. Which is another way that the West consumes resources more than more than its fair share yeah. through a meat-rich diet, which is you're not only eating the meat, you're eating the grains that the meat ate. Right. Right? So, Chuck, let me ask you something. Okay. If you had, if you went home and turned on your tap and there was hot water and it was flowing mm-hmm. and it was as much as you liked, right? Mm-hmm. Would you care how you were getting that? What do you mean? How it was being delivered through my faucet? Yes. Uh, is this a trick question? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, let me rephrase. Okay. If you went home and I'm turned afraid on, I'm answering it wrong. <laughs> and turned on your hot water, and uh-huh. there was as much hot water as you wanted. Yes. And it was you knew it was coming from a sustainable source. Would you care if it was sustainable? Yeah. Uh, I guess not. But I'm kind of like a water uh, saver. So, your water saver. What if you knew you didn't really have to save water? Because it was so sustainable. You wouldn't care. No one cares as long as we have sure, okay. the luxuries that were afforded. Yeah, I see your point. It doesn't, you don't care if it came from burning banana peels. Right, right. No one cares. The problem is that the, the, the problem with the course that we're on apparently right now is that we are um, 
using technology not to get more from less, but to get more from more more cheaply, right? Yeah, it's um, it's a uniquely human thing they call it in the article, which is pretty much true. But technological advancement is in many ways leading to our habitat destruction. Ideally, at this point, everyone w- would be on solar and right. the, the massive companies would be solar powered and all that kind of thing. And that's another great point is, you know, you don't care where your electricity comes from. Do you care if it comes from a solar panel or wind? No. Of course you don't. You just want your electricity. Yeah. So if we had invested or if we could invest our technological advances into um, getting what we have now mm-hmm. from less, from e.g. solar radiation or wind power, right. then we would be – that that's true cutting-edge technology rather right. than you know figuring out ways to deplete things faster, more cheaply, which is the way we're going. Yeah, like thinking of, uh, let's say, a more uh, – efficient uh, oil driller or a more efficient uh, way of getting coal from a mountain, i.e. mountaintop removal. Mm -hmm. So they're using technology, but they're using it in ways that are also destroying the habitat. And sustainability is all about finding the right balance in your habitat. So here's here's the conclusion I came to from reading this, right? The the argument from the uh, positivist's camp I don't even think I'm using that word correctly, but um, the people who are the optimists camp. Sure. Duh, right? Are um, They're saying, no, Malthus was incorrect because he failed to account for human ingenuity. Mm-hmm. And uh, as population grows, so too do the number of geniuses. Sure. And that's where innovation comes from. Yeah. Right? Um, the I think the, the optimists are missing a... a point in their model, and that is greed. Mm-hmm. You can't really sway greed to to benefit human ecology, can you? No, I mean, you can't convince an entire population of people to change their lifestyles, which is what it would take. That's what I'm saying. You, you can't because they don't care. Right. But if you could deliver them that same amount of hot water, right. that same electricity, uh-huh. and it was coming from a sustainable source, no one's going to fight that. Right, right, right. Right? It's having to get them to fight that fight to get the people who are controlling it to change over. They're not going to do that. So there's that fatal flaw in that model that the gloom and doom camp has over the, the um, optimist camp and that you, you're, they don't account for, for greed. Yeah. Have you ever seen Who Killed the Electric Car? No, I never did. I encourage people to see that. That's yeah. pretty scary. The EV1 was, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but the EV1 was it was ready to go. There were TV commercials. You can look up EV1 commercial on YouTube, and they were running them on television. Electric, mm-hmm. electric cars are here. They're not coming. They are here. And boom, it was gone. Really? Yeah. I'll check it out. And I'll give you a few guesses as to why it left so quickly. <laughs> I think and I not only were that. they gone, dude, they literally gathered them all up and crushed them. Really, like so many yeah. uh, ET Atari game cartridges. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sad. But yeah. go go rent it. It's cool. Yeah. S Y S K. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. 
Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Stuff you should know. And um, powerful, powerful lobbies out there. What else you got? I got nothing, man. This is this is a good one to chew on for people. I think. I think so too. We just encourage people like we always do. Just to, you know, we're not saying you know quit your job and go like build solar panels for a living and live on a, on a wind farm. You can do that. That'd be awesome. But little little things, little positive steps. Save, save a little water. Save a little power. I, I disagree, man. What? I I don't think the onus is on the people. I think the onus is on the the people who are misdirecting technological advancements. I'd say it's on both. I disagree. You don't think the onus is on the people to conserve? No. Wow. I, I think I think it I think it is. I think we've put it on the people, but I uh-huh. don't think it's going to make enough of an impact. All right. I think it's on the policymakers. That's who I think it's on. <laughs> I would. I, I think. I think it's on both. Um, okay. Well, that's a debate to be played out on yes. the Facebook page. If you ask me, right? Yeah, man. We should set up a forum. Um, so, if you want to learn more, type in "Has the Earth reached its carrying capacity?" or Thomas Malthus, M-A-L-T-H-U-S, in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It'll bring up some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Well, then that means it's time for listener mail. All right, Josh, I'm going to call this uh, How to Make a My Teenage Son Listen to Your Show from Portland, Oregon. Hi, guys, and Jerry. When you have a teenager, you will quickly learn that you can't just tell them what to do and expect them to do it. I remember those days. Uh, it's so frustrating because as a parent, you know that your kid will love something and get lots out of it, but you can't come right out and say it, or they will never, ever try the thing you told them to try. For example, your podcast. I knew for a fact... Like, I know that it will rain in Portland that my 13-year-old son, Ethan, would really love Stuff You Should Know. Because I love the podcast. I've turned other people onto it, and they love it. But I knew I had to be sneaky in order for my son to give it a try. Uh, Ethan is a fencer, and at the time was also working on a research project about Renaissance jousting in tournaments. So one Saturday, I was working in the kitchen. I played How Knights Work uh, to catch his interest. Every time he came in the kitchen, I'd hit play. When he'd leave, I'd hit pause. <laughs> I would figure he would just think, man, these guys take a long time to finish a sentence. Uh, He would hang around the kitchen longer and longer each time, and I could tell I almost had him on the line like I was noodling. Although, 
you would say, had him on the arm. Yeah. There's no line. Uh, when it was over, he said he already knew everything you talked about in the podcast, but I could tell he was intrigued. Then I hit him with the Scooby-Doo show, and that was it. You had another fan. Now he has downloaded the app for his iPod nice. and listens each night as he's going to sleep. Wow. And that Talk is about from, recruitment. Uh, yeah, that's from Afton N., a very sneaky mom. Thank you. In Portland, Oregon. Thanks, Afton. Mm-hmm. That also kind of ties into the uh, cults and brainwashing episodes, too, doesn't it? Yeah, and she said, um, when she replied, I asked her if I could read this. She said, sure. And she said, I guess he'll know my little trick now, but he'll get such a kick out of being mentioned, Ethan the Fencer. Yes. He will forgive that. Yeah, and at least he can rest assured that she's not, like, putting anything in his soup to get him to do what she wants. She, she uses more subtle tactics than that. <laughs> Right. I wish you could put something in soup to make people listen to this. I'd be putting it in soup. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'd put it in all soups. Well, I'll tell you what. If you have any suggestions of what we can put in people's soup to get them to listen to Stuff You Should Know and to get them to go give us a uh, review on iTunes, huh? Yeah, that, that helps us out when you do that. Yeah. Uh, you should send us an email. And you should send it to a specific email address. That is stuffpodcast.com at HowStuffWorks.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.